I would like to see everybody in our church involved in a small group, but um, uh, I just want to get people thinking differently like I really don't do ministry. You know, there's lots of ways that ministry occurs outside the pulpit. The majority of it does. So I just wanted to um, uh, bring that to everybody's attention because I think there's some people out there who may be doing or watching online maybe as well. But um, I, every time that um, I, I was out of town, out of pocket for a couple of weeks, and um, every time that I have my wife Melody or Danielle or, or if there's a woman ever in the pulpit, I get emails. And I can almost say every time, like, what are you doing having a woman? This is probably what he sounds like. What are you doing having a woman in a pulpit? <laughs> almost every time. And, um, and I understand I was raised in, in church where women were never allowed in the pulpit. But, we, you know, we did make sure that they did children's ministry and everything, other job that that no man wanted to do. But anyway, uh, but this is the scripture that uh, is always quoted to me. So we're going to knock this out of the park today. Are you ready? You ready to hear the word, the word of God? Amen. You ready? Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 says, let your women keep silent in the churches. There you go, women. You just need to shut up. Don't say anything. Let your women keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak. And this is what a lot of people like to quote. But they are to be submissive. Woman, submit. You better submit. As the law also says, verse 35, and if they want to learn anything or if they don't want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it's shameful for women to speak in church. (laughs) It's a shame for a woman. Now, this is Paul. You have to... Study, if you've ever looked into the ministry of Paul, you think, is this guy schizo? I mean, he's, because in in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about women prophesying, speaking for God. So if you got Paul saying, you can speak for God, you just have to have a little dolly or something for head covering. But if you do that, you know, but then he goes in 14 and says, no, you're not allowed to speak. You think, Paul, what's up? What's going on? And let me just do a side note I, I, on this. You have to have a head covering. Back in Paul's time, you still, again, you have to realize that you're talking culture here. You know, when people, uh, back in that day, Paul said, make sure that, you know, you women, you, you, the braided hair and the jewelry and the makeup and, you know, so don't do all of that, you know. And so what modern people and religion has done to say, you women, you shouldn't, you know, put makeup on and jewelry and make sure your hair is fixed. And I'm thinking, Jesus, help us all. (laughs) But the reason he said that is because those were temple prostitutes who dressed like that. So that would be a good thing to say. So he said, if you got your hair braided and all that, make sure that you have a head covering so my thinks that you're a prostitute and you're speaking for God. I remember when we first went to Africa in 91. Uh, at that particular time, it's probably changed by now, but mom and dad told the, the ladies, for the women, not to wear shorts. And there again, it was because prostitutes wore shorts. 
So it's probably a good thing that you shouldn't wear shorts and then try to teach people the word of God. They may not hear from you like, who do you think you are? You got shorts on. (laughs) But can you imagine though, if that's what people believe in a thousand years from now, you read a book that they wrote and and it says women shouldn't wear shorts, then you would think, there you go. We shouldn't wear shorts. No, no. But this is what people, this is what religion has done, you know, to make sure that you women, you, may, you need to, first of all, you need something over your head and don't wear makeup and don't wear, you know, which to me, I think it's really backwards. I think women are beautiful. It's the men who should be wearing makeup to cover. <laughs> I'm kidding. A little. But anyway, the women are, are naturally beautiful. I don't know why. But anyway, if makeup makes you look better, I say, how much money do you need? But anyway, um, if you take this scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35, one manuscript, a Greek manuscript. How many know that Greek, ancient Greek, had no punctuation? There wasn't question marks. There wasn't even periods, commas, and quotation marks. There was not. But the people who knew Greek back then, they knew where the punctuation should be. They knew. Just like if I gave you a paragraph and it didn't have question marks, you could read that and probably know today that that was a question that was asked. I'm from Kentucky. And listen, if I know it, you should know it. Come on now. Don't be difficult on me. But the point is this, is that uh, one group... Uh, of the Greek theologians back in that day knew that, and he put a mark at the beginning of verse 34 and at the end of verse 35. First of all, let me back up. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I believe it's verse 1. It, it, he, Paul says, I'm writing in response to the things that you wrote to me. So, 1 Corinthians is a response letter to the Corinthian church because they wrote Paul and started asking him some questions and saying some things. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this letter is a response to some of the things you wrote to me. And verse 34 is a response or a quote of something they said to Paul in their letter. There was a little mark at verse 34, and there was another little mark at verse 35. He was taking it, and I can even prove it a little bit more than that, all right? First of all, you just got to know, like I said, Paul, if you look at Romans chapter 16, he just prays woman after woman after woman. He just prays them. And then verse uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he sits there and says, when women prophesy. So what's that? That's women speaking for God in the church. And so then people who don't want women to speak in church, they ignore all of that. They ignore all of that. But then they bring out this scripture. You know, women are supposed to submit and shut up. Well, verse 36 1 Corinthians 14, 36. This is the New Living Translation. It says this. Or, that's a simple word there, but listen to this. Or, do you think God's word originated with you, Corinthians? See, he just got through saying this, and then he goes into this uh, 
reasoning. He says, are you the only ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think you are spiritual, you should recognize that what I'm saying is a command from the Lord himself. The New King James of 36 says, or did the word of God come originally from you? Or is it only you, only that it reached? Paul is rebuking them. And he's rebuking them from verse 34 and 35, a quotation that he says. And again, I can prove it, that word or. Oh, it's such a small word. Or. But if you study that again in the Greek and other places where that word is used, but translated differently than when Paul used it in this scripture, it is an expressed disapproval of existing situation. It's called an expletive of dissociation. I had to look that phrase up because I didn't know what it meant. Expletive of dissociation by Greek scholars. And so this is what that word or means. It would be in our sense of what? Are you kidding me? That is nonsense. Or no way. That's what that phrase means in modern day. So this is what Paul was saying. And the Amplified kind of says it that way. 1436 Amplifies it says, What? Did the word of the Lord originate with you, Corinthians? Or was it reached only you? Or has it only reached you? So he's sitting there saying like, Are you kidding me? He's making this statement, repeating what they said. They said 34 and 35. And then verse 36, he says, Get out of here. You've got to be kidding me. So that's what he's saying. But no, no, everybody says, no, you women, you need to shut up and be submissive. If I want to hear from you, I'll ask. And if we take our religious thinking cap off and just be common sense, I know that's a stretch for some religious people, but listen to me. Why would God create women, which is almost 50% of the population? I don't know. You can Google it. It could be 49, could be 51, but it's probably more than 50%. And say, I'm not going to use you. Really? You're not going to use 50% of your creation? I don't know. Does that just sound smart to you? But there again, there's so many places in the Bible that God, Jesus, is the picture of what we should understand of what God is truly like. But that's the main scripture that people quote to me because, you know, if I, if I and it's almost like I have to do, I haven't preached this or talked about this in two years. And uh, so somebody's watching online, you know, if you're watching online, I hope you take notes. But I'm, ju I'm just saying that it's a shame that not the world, not the world thinks this way, but the body of Christ. No, the world, you know, they want to have a woman president. They want to have women in every fast because they know the value of women. But then you get all religified. I think I just made a cool word, religify. 
If you get all religified, then you think, no, you take one scripture and you bank a doctrine out of it. You make a doctrine out of it. Come on now. I just know that that's not the way God looks at women. It's the way that religion has looked at women and all the women said. Did everybody understand that? Because I want to move on to something else. That's part one. Part two is this. How many would agree in the most important time in history, not church history, but the most important time in history period would be the cross? Would everybody agree with that? Make sure we're all on the same page. Would be the cross. That's the most important time ever in history, in the future, or anything would be the cross. And so in John 19, verse 25, it says, now, this is Jesus hanging on the cross. He says, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister and Mary, the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. This is the point I want to make in that scripture. It's real easy to overlook. The most important time in history. I mean, God is about to redeem mankind. You have God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost all hanging on the cross, by the way. Did you get that? You know, a lot of people think that God was in heaven. Yes, he was in heaven. But he was also on the cross. Why? Because God and Jesus and the Holy Ghost have never been separated. Never been separated. And you, I know we can say, Father, why have you forsaken me? That's a whole other message, and I don't have time for that. But anyway, this is the most important time in history. Jesus is on the cross, and right in the middle of redemption, he hits the pause button. And he turns to his mother. He says, Mom, behold your son, John. John, behold your mother. Jesus wants to make sure that his mother's going to be taken care of after he leaves. To the degree that he puts everything on hold to make sure that it's done. I'm telling you, God does not leave one part undone. I don't know about you, but that, if that was me and you, I'd probably be, just be thinking, this is a serious thing I'm going to just do here. And mama probably wouldn't even come to mind. But no, Jesus stops. He stops redemption. He stops the whole plan. I mean, everything that he came to this planet for, he stops right in the middle of it and makes sure that his mom is taken care of. Is that good or what? Everybody say, that's my father. The Passion Translation of John 19, 26 says this. So when Jesus looked down and saw his disciple, he loved standing with her. He said, mother, look, John will be a son to you. Then he said, John, look. She will be a mother to you. From that day on, John accepted Mary into his home and was one of his own family. I've never forgotten that when the Lord showed me that several years ago. And he just, lo he just loves to show how much he cares. It's just who he is. 
He just loves that. And um, yesterday I was had my message prepared and I was just praying about it last night and um, I just felt like that uh, there's some ladies in particular, maybe men, that need to be ministered to this morning. So I'm going to hit the pause button on this message. And maybe people are watching online. I know there's going to be people watching online and I believe some here as well, for sure. But um, I believe there's some people specifically women that have been hurt maybe by your mother. Maybe, and I'm not talking about physical. It could be physical, but um, you don't even think about it because you have buried it, covered it up and forgotten about it. But it's still inside you. The hurt is still inside you. And I just sensed last night while I was praying that God said, I don't want any hurt in anybody covered up, ignored, or whatever. And so he's saying, pause the message and tell them just to open their self up. And he said, I'll heal them. I'll heal that hurt and make it totally restored. Listen to me. This is the thing about restoration. You know, I've told this story so many times, you, you, you're probably tired of it. But I love telling it, so just listen. But, uh, you know, I had a 69 Chevelle, and somebody says, oh, would you like to have a restored 69 Chevelle? No. I would like to have a 69 Chevelle that's modern. <laughs> On the outside, it looks like a 69 Chevelle. But, you know, I would like to have, you know, a monstrous Corvette engine in it and, and all of the electronic dashboard and Apple, everything. <laughs> you didn't have that in 1969. So this is, this is what God says. Listen to me now. I'm a car guy. But listen to me. This is what God says. That's the way that I restore Mike. I don't just bring restoration back to its original condition. When I restore, I make it beyond and better than its original condition. Woo! I like that kind of restoration. I said I like that kind of restoration. And that's what God wants to do to every person that's been hurting, either in here or watching online. He says, I'm not just going to restore this puppy. I'm going to make it beyond and greater than what you've ever known. In reality, now I know this may be hard for your, your religious minds to get wrapped around, but I believe because of what Jesus has done 2,000 years ago, that he didn't just come to restore mankind and make us just as good as Adam and Eve. I believe when he came, it made us beyond and greater than anything that Adam and Eve could ever do or dream of. Restoration by the Lord God is far greater. It's far greater. I know you think, oh, if we could just be like Adam and Eve. And God said, you're going to fall short if you do. Wow. It just makes your religious mind go tilt, man. I mean, just makes that religious mind go, what are you saying? Are you saying God wants it to be better? Yes, I am. Because that's what he said. The thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. But I have come that you may have life and more abundantly. 
So what does that mean? Far better than any kind of life you could ever read about. Shake yourself. So, back to people who need to be healed. Man, just don't, listen, it's easy to cover. I, we, it's easy for, it's our nature just to cover hurt up. Okay, I just cover it up. I'm just going to ignore it. But that's really not what God wants. Not really. He doesn't want that. He wants to make sure that there is no hurt in anybody, period. It's not good enough just to, to keep it buried and, and not express it. Say, well, I can deal with it. God doesn't want you to deal with it. Because I, I'll tell you this, it comes out. You may not think it comes out, but, you know, you can be ill-tempered, short-tempered, just grumpy, depressed. You know, people say, well, I'm just depressed. You know, and drugs can cover up a lot of stuff, but I'm going to tell you, God doesn't want anything covered up. He says, I can restore that, heal that, and make it far greater than anything that you ever thought. That's the way that God heals. That's the way God restores. He makes it better. I said he makes it better. So if that's you today, you're not going to have to come up or, you know, if you want to share afterwards and talk to me, that's fine. But, and if you're online, if you want to email, that's fine. But listen, this is the thing. God wants you to be healed of every hurt. All right? And he gave me this scripture, Isaiah 54, 5 and 6. For your maker is your husband. You can put in there, for your maker is your wife. For your maker is your father. For your maker is your mother. For your maker is your best friend. For your maker is what you fill in the blank. I mean, some years ago, it was about four or five years ago, the Lord just showed me, you know, God was God the Father, and that was it. He was Father. He goes, Mike, I'm more than just Father. How many know there's sometimes you need a mom? My mom's in heaven. There's sometimes you need a mom. There's sometimes you need a dad. There's sometimes you need a spouse. There's sometimes you need a big brother. There's sometimes you need a big sister. There's sometimes you just need a friend. There's sometimes you just need somebody that will listen. Whatever the blank is, God said, that's me. I am that I am. Whatever you need, I am that. So don't put me in a box, Mike, because most people put God in a box. He's father. He is, but that's not all he is. He can be your mother. He can be your brother. He can be your sister. He can be your best friend. Whatever you need, he says, that's me. This is why God wants, he wants to be everything to you, not just a religious square on Sunday morning. He wants to be Monday through Saturday through Sunday, 24-7, everything and whatever you need, God says, I want to be that for you. And I am that for you, but you need to open up yourself and let him be that to you. So he says, for your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He's called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. So he's talking about people that are refused. He's talking about people that are rejected. He's talking about people who are forsaken. God says, I can be and everything that you need that the world has forsaken you. God says, I can be far greater and restore you to far greaterness. Then the last part of the message, the woman at the well, John 4, 5. I'm going to read all of these scriptures all the way down to 19. So it's quite a few. So just hang on. All right. So verse 5, he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. 
Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Six hours, noon. That's noontime. Verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than your, our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water is going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come to draw. She didn't want to come back to this place. I want you to remember that. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In other words, you're just living with him, so you're not even married today. And the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. (laughs) In other words, only God knows all of this. Only God knows all of this. So there's a lot going on here. And God is just breaking all barriers. First of all, Jews not only did not speak to Samaritans, but they definitely, women were subclass species. I mean, they didn't even think women were almost human. So they definitely didn't talk to them. So the story goes on. His disciples are coming up and they're going, what in the world is going on? Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman. What? If you want to know how God thinks about women, look at Jesus. All growing up. When I was growing up, I read this story and it was taught to me and I believe that this woman was a terrible woman jumping from man to man to man to man, and yeah, she's just living with this guy, you know. He's just, uh, I know what kind of woman you are. Yeah. I had it all wrong. You see, in that culture, women did not have the authority or the power to get a divorce. If they were divorced, it was because the man, the husband, divorced them. So not one man divorced her, not two, not three, not four, but five men divorced her or rejected her. Here she is talking to a Jew. And she's saying, listen, the Jews reject us. What is it that, why are you talking to me? Why are you, first of all, why are you talking to me? Because I know Jews reject us. So she is rejected in her core being. Jews reject us. 
Now she's been rejected by five men, and the man she's living with, he doesn't love her enough to, to, to marry her, so he's just living with her, or whatever you want to think. I don't know. But the main reason is probably he did love her. Let me backtrack on that. I believe if you study the culture, the number one reason why men rejected women was because they couldn't get pregnant. They could not get pregnant. And that was one of the most important things of the culture of that time. If you can't get pregnant, I have no use for you. So now the woman believes that Jews rejected her, that men rejected her, and that God rejected her because she can't get pregnant. So now the God of the universe comes to a point in time to make sure he's there at 12 noon when this rejected woman comes to the well to talk to the Messiah, and she does not know it. And he goes on in this chapter, and he talks about worship, and he talks about God, and all of a sudden, she receives acceptance. And if you look at that story through religious eyes, it will be wrong to think that this was a really bad woman and that she's done a lot of terrible things. No, she's been done wrong too by the Jews, by men. And not only do you know why she came, how many, if you study culture again, you didn't go to the well to draw water at 12 noon, the heat of the day. You came to the early morning. That's when women drew well, well. That's when they drew well, water. But you know why she didn't come in the morning? Because women would make fun of you if they, because talk gets around. You know, Sister Sue over there, she can't get pregnant. I mean, so she, not one time was she direct, uh, rejected, but two, three, four, five, five times she's been rejected. And so they would make fun of her. So she was made fun of probably by the women. So that's why she did not get her water in the morning, but she came at noon. And that's why she said to Jesus, give me this water so I don't ever have to come back here. <laughs> the Bible says in Isaiah that God was a man of sorrows, a man of rejection, and that he bore rejection for you and me. God doesn't want anybody to have a sense of rejection or shame or anything to do with that. Why? Because he became that so you and I would never have to. People on this earth can reject you, but you should never feel rejected. Because there's been one greater named Jesus, named God the Father and the Holy Ghost, who's accepted you that you are now the accepted and the beloved. And so don't anybody ever make you feel like you're a reject. That's the whole story, or one of the main principles of this story of the Samaritan woman at the well, is that God's saying, you don't, you're living a life of rejection, but those days are over. Are you hearing me? And if there's anyone here or anybody watching, you need to realize that Jesus came 2,000 years ago to make sure that you never have a moment of rejection from this point on. Can you say amen? amen. How?
do you know these things? She said, well, God wants you to know. He wants you to know that he bore it all. He bore and became rejection for you and me. There's people that live in rejection all their life. There's people that have hurt and they just get it buried. There's people that are mistreated, sometimes by parents, sometimes by mom, sometimes by dad. You know, and people run to Oprah Winfrey and get on TV and tell the whole world, you know, what my mama did, what my daddy did, you know. But I'm here to tell you, instead of running to tell people, you need to run to God so he can restore you. He wants to restore to you. So in other words, he doesn't just want to bring you back to, to level. He wants to bring you back far greater and better life than you ever dreamed possible. So if you've been, felt like you've been rejected, if you feel like you've been through some things, the grace of God is far greater. Where sin does abound, grace does much more. So anything that the world has done to you, anything that people have done to you, anything that life has done to you, and man, it's hard. There's things that life has done to you that is really, really hard. But God wants you and me to know that, listen, just turn to me. Just turn to me. Give it to me. It's not, there's no hoops to jump through. There's no hoops to jump through. There's not, if if you do this, if you do one, two, and three, this will happen. There's none of that. Are you getting this? This is the grace of God. It's, a, it's the mercy of God that he, we don't have to measure up to get him to do this. He says, I've already done it 2,000 years ago. So when you read stories like this, this is the heart of God, how he thinks about women, what he thinks about people. They're valuable and precious to him. And let me just add this. He didn't say, well, if you quit living with that man, I'll touch your life. Ow! Because that's what the church says. Well, if you straighten up, you know, God will bless you. Well, if we straightened up, we wouldn't need God. If we could straighten up, why would he need God? You know, if you live right, if you do right, you do this and you do that, then, you know, God will bless you. Well, then, if I could do all that, then... Shut your mouth. No, I'm not saying it's okay to live in sin. I'm not saying it's okay to this. But listen, honey, if you think that I am telling you this, you don't have to get your act together to get to God. You come to God, period, exclamation point, period, 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 dot, exclamation point. I don't know what that means. But anyway... My point is this, just come to him. Don't let religion dictate to you that you have to do certain things or get your act together or do one, two, three, or if you pray hard enough or if you, if you just make sure that maybe you need to fast and maybe you need to give up some things and, you know, then God will minister to you. No, I'm here to tell you today that God says, I'll take you just as you are and I'll restore, make your life better and far greater than anything that you could ever do. As a matter of fact, you can't do it. It takes me to do it for you. It takes me to do it for you. 
We're looking to ourselves to do it. And God says, you're looking to the wrong resource. You have to look to me and I will do it for you. I'll live holy before you. I'll live righteous for you. I'll do everything for you. It's me. That's why we needed a savior. Let's stand. All these great phrases. Shut the door. You think, what does that mean? I don't know. I just hear the youth saying it. But anyway, listen to me. We, God is not looking for ways to not minister to you, to bring you up out of the grave, to bring you up out of the pit. He's not looking for ways not to do that. He's looking for every possible crack and cranny. He says, I, I can do that. Matter of fact, I have done that. You just need to see that I've done that for you. He's already done it. See, there's nobody in the pit today. He's taken you out of the pit. It's just that our eyes are closed to it and blinded to it. But today, eyes are being opened. Scales are falling off people's eyes that are here watching online to know how much God truly does love you. You see, we all need to be like John. You read when that story in the King James Version, New King James, where it talks about uh, uh, John wrote it, so he said the disciple that Jesus loved. He didn't even mention his own name. But do you realize this is where we should put ourselves? John, out of all 12 disciples, listen to me, he knew and had a greater revelation of how much God loved him than the rest of the 11. People think, oh, John is the one that Jesus loved the most. No, 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 no. No. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Feet. Pete. He washed his feet. Just like he washed John's feet. So he loved them all, including Judas. But John is the only one out of the 12 that knew how much that God loved him. See, that's one of my goals, to get the church to understand and believe truly how much God loves you because we don't have a clue, including myself. But we're on a journey to be like John, to say, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. That's greater than any testimony that John wrote about. I'm the one that he loved. He didn't even call himself John. Why? John, it doesn't matter about my name. This is the most important thing about me. I'm the one that Jesus loved. Wow. Is that a testimony? But the sad thing is, that should be all of our testimony.